Amen. Amen. I'm so glad you're all here. And those of you that are joining us online, thank you for watching this service. We have a special treat today with uh, Brian Moak, who is a good friend of mine, a dear friend who's become that over the past years, a uh, few years actually. Uh, we were together in Chicago for church planning uh, conferences and things of this nature, and I really enjoyed all that he had. He is a part of a church assessment for us here at Trinity, and I'm excited to have him here. He is the Vice President for Church Development at Converge Mid-America, and I know that you'll welcome him and, and listen to him with an open heart and mind today. Brother Brian, God bless. Brother. Thanks, man. Thanks. Morning, everyone. Man, that was good. That's the best good morning I think I've ever heard. You guys are awesome and great acapella singing. Sometimes isn't that just sort of a refreshing, I mean, we love instrumental music, don't get me wrong, but man, sometimes just the purity of voices singing, what a beautiful thing. It is so great for me to be here. And uh, on behalf of Converge Mid-America, I'm just so glad to, to, to call you all a part of our family of churches. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Converge has been around just for a couple of 165 years. And uh, um, we were good old Swedish Baptists, and uh, God has moved and worked uh, through those years uh, to, uh, to see the gospel uh, transform lives, uh, both here in the United States and all around the world. We're about 1,500 churches here in the United States, about 100 missionaries. And Converge Mid-America uh, uh, in November merged with Converge Southeast. And so Florida is part of us now as a region. Um, and so uh, I am a part of that. As, as uh, Pastor Tom said, I am the vice president of church strengthening, which means that we have a vice president of church planting. He starts them and I fix them. And that's kind of how, how, how that works. Um, I was a pastor for 25 years in uh, three different churches. I uh, grew up in a, in a little town up north called Green Bay. Uh, Wisconsin. Anybody ever heard of that place? Man, I can't stand being in Tampa. But anyway, um, other than that, um, uh, but uh, I grew up in Green Bay and, 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 uh, and got called to be a pastor, and I've ha had the privilege of serving in a variety of roles through 25 years of ministry, and now uh, um, I get to do that uh, with 335 churches has, has helped to see them be strong and healthy and gospel-saturated and reproducing places. And I'm so glad for what God is doing here at Trinity Baptist Church. And uh, you guys are an exciting paradigm. One of the things that we try to tell our churches is, is you need to know your uniqueness as a church. You know, we're all Matthew 28 churches. We hope we're all Matthew 28 churches. You know, we're going to go and make disciples, right? Uh, and uh, but, but why come to Trinity Baptist Church to do that in Sun City? You, you have to know that God has put you in a unique place. Uh, you're all unique people. At least that's what your pastor says. You're unique. And, uh, and you have a really unique pastor. And, uh, yeah. I didn't really mean unique in like an applause way, but that's great. That's, that's super. 
Um, and, uh, and, and where those three things meet is this thing that God is about doing in, in this place. I'm a big Henry Blackaby guy, and, and, and you know, we want to see where God is at work, and we want to join him in that. And uh, praise the Lord for how he is doing that here in this place. Um, last thing is I have been happily married for 31 years and uh, to my wife Kristen we were actually uh, together here this weekend uh, we were at Clearwater Beach and uh, we just spent a couple of days uh, there and uh, that was awesome beautiful place and uh, uh, we've got two adult kids and, and they're both married and uh, they're all walking with the Lord which is awesome uh, but none of that really matters. I mean, the walking with the Lord part matters. But uh, none of the rest of it, because we, uh, our grandchild, our grandson, Calvin, is everything, right? <laughs> we'd, we'd have all skipped kids if we'd have known how great grandparenting would be. And so we have another one coming in December. Uh, he's going to have a little brother, and we're so excited about that. And, uh, but just awesome, just awesome what God is doing. So let me pray, and uh, we're going to get right at it, all right? Lord, thank you for today. God, every time we inhale and exhale, we, it, it, we should worship you. <laughs> because of your provision, your providential care for us, none of us are guaranteed another breath. And so we live each and every day, God, uh, to delight in you. I just read it in Psalms this morning. God, I want to delight in your law and meditate on it day and night. Just struck me this morning. Oh, God, keep us delighting in you this day. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would move in this place. Uh, the last thing we need is more information. God, we need transformation. We need to become more and more like the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And so make us moldable to this morning. And Jesus, we've just been singing it a lot here <laughs> this morning. We love you. We love you. And we are so grateful that you first loved us. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Growing up, uh, my mom was one of the organists at our church. And uh, on the Sundays that she played, she would practice at the church on Saturday mornings. And so my sister and I would sort of tag along with my mom when she would go practice uh, the organ on Sunday. And, and we would do several things uh, while she practiced. But one of those was we played church. Um, one of us would lead the songs, and just like this morning, you know, we would do this and, and wave our, our hands and conduct, and uh, we would take an offering. I have no idea how we did that, because neither of us had any money, and then, of course, one of us would do the preaching. And I'm telling you what, even as kids, we were really good at playing church. And why were we so good at it? Well, we had seen it happen a lot, a lot of Sundays. I did some calculating. I'm 54 right now, and I calculate that I've been in church for over 2,500 Sundays. And that includes the Sundays I didn't go to church because I was sick and got to watch Popeye and Gentle Ben and Davy Crockett. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I loved when I was sick because I got to watch those shows that, you know, now you just download them. Uh, but uh, 
If you add in Sunday evening services, midweek services, and oh, by the way, I was a pastor for 25 years, the amount of hours that I've spent in the church reaches into the tens of thousands. And so if I was good at doing church as a seven-year-old, I am really good at doing church today. Here's the deal. Many of you in this room here this morning uh, can do the similar types of calculations, can't you? And you too are really good at doing church. But unfortunately for me, and I'm sure for some of you as well, the familiarity that we have with church can sort of anesthetize us, if you will, to the real purpose of why we gather. You know, if we're not careful, our traditions, our preferences, our expectations can become the motivators for us being at church rather than coming for what the Bible tells us so, right? You know, the story's told of a young girl who was watching her mother bake a ham for a family gathering and noticed that her mom cut off the sides of the ham before putting it in the oven. She said, Mom, why do you cut the ends off before baking the ham, she asked. Hmm, she said, I think, it, I think it helps up soak the juices up while it's baking, but I'm not actually sure, though, because my mom taught me, I saw her do it that way, and so why don't you call your grandma and ask her? So the little girl phoned her grandma and asked, Grandma, Mom's making a ham and cuts off the ends of the ham before placing in the oven. She says it helps soak up the juices. Uh, she said you'd know because she learned how to cook from you. She said, yeah, that's true. I, I do cut off the ends of the ham before baking, but I'm not actually sure why either. Um, I, I learned how to cook from my mom. Why don't you call your great-grandma and ask her that question? And so she calls her up and says, great-grandma, mom and grandma said they learned how to cut the, it, and cut the ends off the ham to help it soak up the juices. And it, do, you, do you do that? Is that why you did that? And the great-grandmother chuckled, and she said, oh, no, sweetie. I just never had a pan big enough to hold a whole ham, so I always had to cut off the ends to make it fit. You get it, don't you? How much of what we do as a church is done because the Bible tells us so? And how much do we do because we've always done it that way? It's kind of a scary question, isn't it? Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this morning, I want us to come to the doctor's office. I want us to come and do a sort of a church checkup by reminding us of the essentials of what the church is supposed to be so that we might make sure that we are, in fact, here at Trinity Baptist Church, still a hospital for people who need to know the best news that's ever been given in the gospel of Jesus. So, let's begin uh, our, our journey here this morning by defining what the church is. Some of us uh, learned how to define what the church was at an early age. And if we went to Sunday school, you know how to do that. You can define it right now, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Yeah, see, you're all doing it, right? 
That little pithy statement, it was a reminder to us, even as kids, that the church was really about the people that are in the building and not the building itself. So let me share a more adult version of that definition I found in a commentary that I think is really pretty helpful. And it says this, you'll see it on the screen. It's the fellowship of those given by Christ to be to each other what he has been to them so that together they can be to the world a demonstration of the new humanity he died and lives to make possible. Let me split that up a little bit because there's a lot in there. The definition begins by reminding us that the church is made up of redeemed people. We're redeemed as followers of Jesus. We're saved by his matchless grace. We receive that redemption because Jesus gave himself for us by dying the death that we deserved on the cross. He took our sin so that through him we might be forgiven of our sin, right? The second part of the definition says that our job then, in light of what I just said, is to be to each other what he has been to us. That's the harder part. Because we're to live a life of love and sacrifice to each other, which mirrors the love and sacrifice that Christ gave for us. Finally, the definition reminds us that we behave like this with each other so that we can together, as a fellowship, show the world something that they haven't seen in any other place. I don't know about you, but we are a messed up world And the answer is not in the Republican Party, I hate to tell us. The answer is not in the Democratic Party. The answer is not in America. The answer is not in politics. The answer is not in police and fire and all that. There is only one hope. And we have that hope in Jesus. He's our hope. He's our present. He's our future. And so we become the example of a new way to live. A new humanity that Christ himself has made possible. I love this definition as a whole because it reminds us that we as the collective body of Christ uh, live because our purpose is to live in such community with each other. I mean, we are we're so in this together that people see a difference in the way that we behave so that they are compelled to want to be a part of it. And oh, by the way, they're welcome to participate. Do you see, do you see that? Our behavior is such that people say, I want in. I want in with what these people have. And we say, come on in. Be a part of it. Unfortunately, the church doesn't always communicate this type of unity. Instead, the church often communicates a disunity that becomes far less than attractive to the world. Tom Rayner put together 25 silly things church members fight over. Here's just a couple of them. Number one, the argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. By the way, these are true. These are true. Number two, a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. Three, a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. Four, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had, heaven forbid, cran grape juice instead of grape juice. 
These are true. Five, business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve it. And argument number six, on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. <laughs> and finally, maybe the most important one, is a disagreement over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. So you might want to think about that one. They're funny, but it's kind of sad, isn't it? Because we all have the same stories that we could give. We could make our own list of the dumb things that church people argue about. Too often we communicate anything but the love and the grace of Christ. I can share a personal example. My dad is not a follower of Jesus. It is the burden of my heart. Our whole family follows Jesus. He isn't yet. I believe he will, but man, do I want to see him come to know Jesus. I know that my dad needs to figure out his own relationship with Christ. It's, it's his responsibility. It's his salvation on the line. But I also know that I believe that one of the reasons he's not been willing to engage in Christ is because he has unfortunately seen the church behave badly way too often than I can list. But just to give you a flavor of it, one specific example happened to him personally years ago. Uh, my dad had been playing on the church softball team, you know, that place where everybody loses their uh, holiness and sanctification, right? <laughs> my dad was easily the best player on the team, I'm no doubt about it. And I really do think that a softball team can be a great place to share life with people like my dad who are not followers of Jesus. However, somebody... I'd like to know who it was, uh, decided in their wisdom that you could no longer play on the team anymore if you weren't a regular attender of the church. So my dad wasn't asked and invited to play anymore. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that this scar, among others, is why my dad doesn't want to come to church. Why? And I think this story can be played out over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, maybe we've forgotten why we exist. Maybe we've twisted the purposes of the church to look more like we want it to look rather than what God intends for it to look. So what are we supposed to look like? What is the church supposed to be about? Well, the good thing is, is the answer is found in the book, right? Acts chapter 2. The church is born. We know it was born out of this ragtag group of people who had just experienced some of the most extreme ranges of emotions that people could experience. From, from the grief of the death of the Messiah, can you imagine the feeling? To three days later, this, this amazing ecstasy of Jesus' resurrection, he did live again. And then this bizarre sort of level of confusion and loss when Jesus ascends to heaven. And before he ascends to heaven, they're told that they're to await the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to empower them to boldly share the good news of Jesus. So they wait. They wait not knowing what this really means, how long they're going to need to wait. And then several days later, as they were waiting, the Holy Spirit came. We know came in power. Everyone could see it. And it was here that the church 
The very church that we participate in 2,000 years later was born. And in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us what this new church looked like. Let's read together, starting in verse 42. You'll see it on the screen as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Pretty cool. Verse 42 starts and gives us the four main functions of this early church. I would call them four foundational pillars of what the church focused on. The first was the apostles' teaching. Simply put, the early church put a priority on the teaching of the word. And remember, they didn't have the back half the back third of the book. They just had the Old Testament, right? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. It was all they had at the time. But they devoted themselves to knowing the Word of God. And you know, I mean, I saw it in your announcements this morning. You're devoted to the Word. You know that if Trinity is going to be the church that God wants it to be, it has to be a church that puts a priority on the Word of God. Number two, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship, that word is called koinonia. It's a Greek word that speaks of freely giving of yourselves for each other in deep community. Koinonia is coming together in faith, love, and encouragement. This new church devoted themselves to caring for each other, to building each other up in the faith to loving each other as family and encouraging each other to grow. The challenge in this can be summed up in this question. Are you a friendly church or are you a church of friends? Do you see the difference? A friendly church is just being nice to people. <laughs> being a friend means to give yourself to people in relationship. The, the church that I go to, one of our values, one of our measurements of a fully devoted follower of Christ is, are your Sunday friends your Monday friends? That's such a great line. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This breaking of bread, well, it had two aspects to it. The first is that uh, it was a coming together for communion, the Lord's Supper, as Jesus taught, to remember to remember through this visual means uh, that, uh, that, that his body was given and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We're supposed to do this regularly. Why? Because we need to remember the why of why we are a church. The breaking of bread, though, doesn't simply just mean communion. It also means that they came together to share a meal. There's something powerful about coming together around food. This job's been horrible for me that way because I eat constantly. We love to come around food, right? There's community that's built around sharing of food. 
And it reminds us of the importance of hospitality, making your home a place of invitation and a place of welcome. Number four, prayer. Last but not least. As a matter of fact, I'd say first and not least. (laughs) They devoted themselves to prayer. It wasn't some sort of simple addition to what they did, but rather an integral part of who they were as the church. They prayed in their homes as well as the temple, and the book of Acts continues to speak in, in, in this early church's devotion to prayer on several different occasions. I mean, they were all in when it came to prayer. If we're going to be the church, we have to be a praying church. I believe wholeheartedly that this is one of the reasons that the church in America is so impotent. We don't pray. It's where where the source of power relies, is, is in our connection vertically with God through prayer. If Trinity Baptist Church is going to be known as a church of prayer, that means that it has to infect everything that you do. Are you known for that? Do you pray in all sorts of different ways, structured and spontaneous ways? So people say, what are those people doing in the back? Oh, they're just praying. It happens all the time around here. We need to be devoted to prayer. Well, as a church focused on these four pillars, this teaching of the word, the fellowship to prayer, to breaking of bread, uh, verses 43 to 47 shares some really amazing results that took place. First thing is, is that it says that everyone was filled with awe. They experienced a reverent fear for what God was doing in their midst. They knew that this was not something that they just conjured up on their own. This was something that was from the very hand of God. It says wonders and miraculous signs were done. Wonders and miraculous signs were unexplainable works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. It was a reminder. It was a reminder to these early believers of Jesus' promise of the Spirit's power and presence among them. Oh, by the way, that same power and presence is here today. He's here. The Holy Spirit is Emmanuel, God with us right now, by the way. He resides in us as followers of Jesus. It says they wanted to meet every day. I mean, they couldn't get enough of what God was doing in their midst, and they made a point of meeting together every single day. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if God was moving in such a powerful way in our churches that we just wanted to get together every day, not just to hang out, but but to meet with God because he was so powerfully active in their midst? says that everyone was living in unity. They lived with everything in common. They were of one mind and one mission. By the way, before we get too excited about them, it didn't last very long. <laughs> Only lasted till chapter 6, and then they had to deal with some conflict already. So, But at this point, at least, that was what they were doing, and that is our goal, by the way, to live in that kind of unity. They have an, had an overflowing generosity. They couldn't give enough. No one had any need because everything was being shared among people. That had to be quite the sight. They weren't necessarily rich people, but they were a generous people. They had an abundant hospitality. 
And this was a hospitable culture by nature, by the way. And so to talk about an abundant hospitality among these followers of Jesus, that had to be quite the deal for people to see. And I love this one. They had the favor of all the people. People in the community were noticing. <laughs> Remember that definition of the church that I shared before. There was, there was this fragrant smell that was emanating from this church that became intoxicating to people who were in the community. They saw a different kind of humanity at work in this new church. And then it all closes off with this. The Lord added to their number, what? Daily. Daily those who are being saved. This is the result of the church being on mission. By boldly committing to these four pillars, God added to their numbers, not annually, not monthly, not weekly, but every single day people were coming to know Jesus as Savior. So, these are the essentials. This was their focus. This is what God did. They weren't distracted by file cabinet and cran grape juice sorts of discussions. But they were unified with the mission of Matthew 28 in front of them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in conclusion, what about you guys? What about Trinity Baptist Church? Are you as a church, the bride of Christ, living on mission with the Great Commission as your marching orders? Well, let me close by asking you all four questions that will help assess the answer. By the way, please remember that every time I ask one of these questions, there's a finger pointed out at you and there's three pointed back at me. This is a conviction for all of us as followers of Jesus. So the first question is this, are you focused on the essentials? As you evaluate the things you do as a church, are they saturated in the word of God? Are they creating real koinonia, real fellowship? Is there a sense of rich generosity among you all as a church? And are you filling your hallways with regular and persistent prayer? Number two, if your church closed its doors today, would your community care? In other words, is the impact of your church so intoxicating to those outside this building that you have the favor of all the people that they would be lost without you? Oh my goodness, Trinity's closing. We're in big trouble. Or are you instead isolated in, in such a way that your community wouldn't even know that you existed? Our communities need to know we're here. The third question I think is the most dangerous, and that is this. If the Holy Spirit left your church today, would anything you do change? In other words... Are you doing church in the power of your own strength, in the power of your own ideas and your own preferences? I'm really good at doing church because I've done it my whole life. Or are you instead fully dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit working through you? Every day we come to him and we say, Lord, we, we need to do what you want us to do. 
take away our pride, take away our stuff so that we can be missionaries for you today, right? And then lastly, for each of us as individual parts of the body, are you personally living in unity with your church? Or are you instead uh, participating in some sort of divisive behavior or disunity that you need to confess? Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. We need to keep short accounts with each other. Friends, the church is a living, breathing organism. It's not simply an organization like the Red Cross or the Lions Club. <laughs> These are good organizations, but it's not the church. It's why I love the church. It's why I've devoted my life to the church. I mean, just think about this room right here. Because of all the personalities, the backgrounds, some of you are even from Minnesota. Don't get me started. You have different preferences, different likes, different backgrounds, all of that. I mean, there's just no possible way the church should work. But why does it work? Because we're the bride of Christ. We're the Holy Spirit working in and through us to do something that we can't take any credit for. We just put our hands in the air and say, we worship you, Lord, for who you are. So we come in on Sunday morning for an hour or so to get re-energized, to get refocused as the body of Christ, to get re-encouraged, to get re-loved on so that we can leave this place to enter the mission field. When you go to the restaurant this afternoon, your, your server should say, where in the world have you been? You just look different. We say, we've just been with Jesus. You want to come with We, we need to be like Moses. <laughs> we need to be shining with the presence of God in such a way that people are even like freaked out a little bit. We, we hold the hope of the gospel, not only on our hands, but with our lips. And here's the best part. We get to press on together. We get to cling to the charge of Hebrews 10, verse 25. I love this, and I close with this. Let us not forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other. And all the more as we see the day, that's a capital D day, approaching. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And even as I say that, God, I love you so imperfectly. I confess even right now, just preaching this sermon, that, that uh, I am so prone to wander. I'm so prone to, to, to put my life into this sort of Christianese neutral. God, I want to I live today as though this was the first day I got to know Jesus. God, remind us as followers of Christ 
what you've done in our lives. Remind us of the mission that you called us to. Remind us of all the lost people that are in our sphere of influence right now that are going to a Christless eternity because they don't know the hope we have. Keep us from fear. Keep us uh, from sort of steering the conversation in directions that have nothing to do with the gospel. I was so convicted yesterday as I was, uh, I, I wanted to see that whole Church of Scientology area. I got all into that Leah Remini stuff and just was fascinated by this. And so it was sort of this bizarre bucket list thing for me. <laughs> and so we went yesterday and it was so dark and empty in a variety of ways. And as my wife and I were prayer walking around the, the, this set of complexes, praying for God to, to literally destroy the building, crumble it, there was this couple that was walking and said, I don't, I, looks to me like the same as every other religion. And, and my wife and I just were like, no, it's not. Jesus, you, you, are, you are hope and life and fullness and joy. And Oh God, would you just speak through this group of Christ followers to do something remarkable for your name? And Lord, I'm, I'm sure, whether online or here in this building, God, uh, that, that there are people who are, are, uh, have, have not made that ultimate decision to follow you. God, may today be that day when, when all of the frustration and all of the I wonder what's go away in the fullness of joy in you. Not that our problems go away, but you are in all of it. So I pray that today would be the day of salvation for some. No magic formula, no magic uh, prayer. It, uh, your word says if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved, period, end of story. So Lord, help people this morning to, to shift allegiance from themselves or, or others to, to allegiance to you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. And we will, Lord, leave this place on the mission field for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you've done and continue to do. It's in your name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. This For prayer, for our invitation, we're gonna sing a cappella. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're looking for a church home. This is a place for you. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the place for you. This is the day, this is the hour, this is the moment that you open your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and give it to Him. If you're looking for whatever decision the Lord has laid on your heart, I'm here at the front to pray with you about that decision. As we sing, won't you come?